Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to Behind the Goals episode 31, uh, following on from our episode a couple of weeks ago when we spoke to uh, Jesse Cole of the Savannah Bananas. Uh, this week we're speaking to another basketball, sorry, American uh, themed sport, but uh, a bit closer to home this time in uh, Duncan Smiley, owner of uh, Glasgow Rocks. Yeah, so Scottish basketball, um, Scotland's only professional basketball team. Uh, Duncan's been uh, owner for about a year, just over a year. Um after a, after a career in business, uh, and you'll be talking uh, about what it's like to run a, a professional basketball team, uh, what's involved in, in making it work, um, how it differs from the experience of, of, of supporting a football club and running a football club, uh, and also some of the similarities in what each sport can learn from each other. Mm. I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it? It's the kind of um, things that, and we, we kind of touched upon it briefly in the episode, things that we could learn from even overseas like um, yeah. the kind of regulations they got in American sport and that he says it actually would be quite good if it applied in British sports as well yeah. because I think salary caps and drafts would be a great way to kind of balance yeah. out an, un- an uneven playing field That's uh, right. in Scotland and, That's in, right. and in England yeah and, and just hearing about the different um, fan experience in different sports um, I, I've been I've never been to a basketball match in Scotland uh, I've been to a couple of ice hockey games and a long time ago a couple of rugby matches um, but I'm I've got fairly narrow horizons in terms of the uh, the sports that I, I pay attention to so actually just hearing about what happens in other sports and how it can be different uh, when everything else is the same all that's different is the sport and the way that they organize it and the, w- the way they organize the match match the experience uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting yeah well we will we'll delve straight into it okay Duncan thank you so much for joining us today and joining us in our little office here in Falkirk um, I wondered if you could perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background yeah thank you for having me um, yeah I'm, I'm very new to, to, to sport I have quite a a corporate boring background I grew up in in, um, in West Lothian a place called Whitburn but I moved down south in my early 20s um, and spent 20 odd years down there having let's say quite a um, a varied career, but mostly in commercial leadership roles as MD and CEOs of companies. But I decided uh, three years ago now that I wanted to move back to Scotland. wasn't quite ready for the bright lights of Whitburn, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I decided to move to to Glasgow. And I'd made a decision that I was moving back up. That I was done with doing those MD CEO jobs because they're absolutely exhausting. And um, I was quite lucky financially that I didn't have to do one of those big jobs anymore. And I wanted a job in football, actually. I, I came up here with the sole intention of getting a job in football and interviewed for um, a several interviews for um, a CEO job, actually, at St Mirren, right. uh, which I went a, a long way in the interview process there. And there was another there was a couple of commercial roles in premiership clubs. And I actually found that football's quite clicky. And um, it's okay, a click's okay if you're in it, yeah. <laughs> but when you're on the outside, I, I wasn't really getting appointments, so um, I wasn't deterred by that. And actually, we went for a job in rugby, another sport that I love. Um, but I decided I wasn't going to do a corporate job, and I, and I stuck in there, and I, I sort of fell into, into basketball. If if you can do such a thing, so how did how did that come about? It was a very quick process. Um, I sit on the children's panel in Glasgow and um, during one of the hearings one of my fellow panel members 
um, me and her started talking about football and football's my my sport I'll full disclosure I'm a Celtic fan um, and she'd mentioned that her husband David Lowe um, had been involved in Celtic I knew David's name instantly as the, the guy basically that brokered the, the Fergus McCann deal when Celtic were heading for the rocks uh, if you pardon the pun um, <laughs> back in the 90s and I asked for an introduction probably a bit creepy now when I think about it I asked for an introduction to her husband and I met David um, thinking he could help me get a job in football and David who's quite a character um, pretty much said to me within five minutes of meeting me do you want to buy half a basketball team <laughs> which is exactly how David said it and I said absolutely not the last thing I want to do is buy a basketball team um, so fast forward a, a year and a bit. yeah yeah so I, I met um I met Ian Reid, who so, so so David owns and still owns half of the Glasgow Rocks. Ian Reid, the gentleman that formed the Rocks twenty years ago, and Ian, um, he was looking he was looking for the off ramp. I mean, Ian, um, um, don't know if he's going to be listening to this, but he, he won't mind me saying he's in the um, the later the later um, later years of his career. And he wanted to retire basically, and um, he asked me along to a game, and I can remember it vividly because it was at the end of the season before last, so like March 17, this would be, and he'd invite me along to a game at the Emirates, and I can remember waking up on a Sunday morning and saying to my girl, we were both hungover, and I said, I don't want to go, this is going to be rubbish. <laughs> this is going to be like some wee boys cutting about a gym hall in the East End of Glasgow. I'm not really up for this. He said, oh, come on, it'll be fun. And we went along, and I got a bunch, I was blown away. It was just so cool. That, 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 that's the best word to explain it. As an event, uh, as a game day experience, I was blown away by it, and it, it was it was pretty much full in the smaller arena at the Emirates, and it was just non-stop. The quality was fantastic, both in terms of the play and the event it was putting on. I've been to a lot of basketball in the states, and I'm not for a minute claiming it's an NBA level. That would be ludicrous, but it was way, way, way more professional um, than I thought it would be. Um, and I was looking at the audience, and I say audience as opposed to crowd. I maybe got onto that in a bit because a lot of people see it as entertainment rather than sport. Not me, however. I'm uh, I'm very competitive, and it's about sport. And it's about winning, and I hate losing. Um, but I looked at the, the the crowd of the audience that were there, and it was full of families. Mm-hmm. Um, big portion of uh, of female um, fans, families. It was just really, really cool. Not a sign of any bad language. And I say, again, make no apologies. I love going to football and I love everything, even the bad stuff about football I like and all the naughtiness that goes with it. It's just good fun going to football and even rugby, which is quite, uh, they're both quite male-dominated and quite boozy. And I make no apologies. I love that sort of thing. But the basketball was totally mm. opposite to that. It was There is no swearing. You're swearing you're out of there, whether that be as a player on the court. Or, or or as a fan, it was just a totally different vibe, and I, I sat down with Ian, and Ian was a he was a very easy seller, and I was a very easy buyer. I did some basic due diligence um, on the business side of it, and being quite an impulsive guy, went all in on it. So I think I think I took over in April, seventeen, with about at that time three or four games to go in the season. Right, and the so the players they're it's a fully professional team. So the yeah. players are part time. No, no, the player, the players are full time. So we, okay. we are Scotland's only male professional team. There's a, a ladies professional team, semi professional in Edinburgh, but we are um, Scotland's only male professional team. Uh, we compete in the British Basketball League, uh, BBL. So we're one of twelve teams uh, that play. And those teams are, are scattered right down the UK, as you'd imagine. So 
Newcastle and through the Midlands and London and Plymouth and Bristol and Surrey and all these places. So there's 12 teams in the league. We're Scotland's only representative in that league. And it is a professional league. There's not a lot of money in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, our players are... We would normally have about 11 or 12 contracted players. There's five on the court at any time. And if you can have another five or six on the bench, then you're you're doing well for a for a, for a lot of rotation. But these players come in typically; they're contracted for a season. So our seasons, our season will start towards the end of September, and it'll finish um, depending on how far we go in the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, finish towards the end of May next year. So it's it's September to May, not too different from the football. Yeah. Um, but the players tend to come in on contract for the season so right now we actually only have two players uh, sorry three players contracted to us the contracts end the day the season ends Um, and it's quite a high rotation in players so you typically have three or four maybe five Scottish guys or British guys Uh, you're allowed three Americans and two non-British nationals but those guys are it's a job I mean they're in every day um, at practice that shows I'm learning now they don't go to training like you do in football they go to practice they're not on a pitch, they're on a court. Uh, I'm, I'm getting my jag and it's not kick-off, it's tip-off. If I, so I'm getting there slowly but surely. But no, these guys are in every day and this okay. is their job um, for like eight, 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 months a, eight, eight months a year. And we provide, uh, for the, the, the foreign guys, we provide housing for them and we provide uh, access to cars and we, we feed them a wee bit through partnerships we've got with restaurants and what have you. But they're not earning a lot of money. Um, okay. But what they earn is pocket money, and, and they have a good lifestyle. And in all honesty, players tend to come here from abroad. It's a bit of a parking lot. It's, I guess it's what, what Scottish football could be seen for for the Premiership. Come here and get a move down south to the Premiership to the Championship in football. A player will come here from the States. They'll probably try to get a contract in mainland Europe. Mm. Because if you're playing basketball and... Spain or, or or somewhere like Greece or Turkey or Italy or something. These guys are rock stars. They're getting like millions yeah. of euros a year. Mm. It's actually only Britain that, 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 that there's not any money in the sport. It's, it's not a popular sport here. So if they fail to get a, a gig, say, in the second division in Spain, they'll come here for a year. It's a very stat-driven sport. And it's somebody that comes from a business background. I, I like being able to measure something. You yeah. can't measure something, you can't yeah. manage it, right? Yeah, yeah. And you look at basketball, about how many minutes were you in the court... How many points did you score? Offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, your free throws, your three point. What are your percentages? It's a very stat-driven sport. So they come to the league thinking of a good season here, um, and then get a move to a bigger club um, on on mainland Europe, um, or even back to the states into the, the, the lower leagues there, or to Australia or somewhere. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that that that's sort of the, the life of a yeah. player here, and I guess for your local players, it's a route from them into sort of recreational or or, or part time um, sort of Scottish league basketball. I guess it is, or is, or is it local leagues into into the big time? It's I basically guess. they come from local leagues. I mean, I'm, we're sat here um, in Falkirk. I mean, there's a real if there is such a thing as a basketball um, hub and community, it's in Falkirk more than anywhere else. There's a, a lot of good players coming out of, um, come out of this over the years, but no, it tends to be through. Uh, the national leagues, and then to the British Basketball League, so professional league, which which we're in. But we, we've got a couple of players in our team that that have come through the national league, and have um, have stayed at the Rocks and been there for a few seasons. And then equally, we, we've got some some guys in our team, so like Kieran Achara, and Kieran is our captain, he's Scotland captain, he's GB captain. He just had his hundredth cap two weeks ago against Estonia. Kieran took uh, GB to Olympics in 2012. Now Kieran, um, he's from Stirling. At an early age, I don't know what age you go to college in the States, I guess 18 or something, went to the States on a scholarship, 
went to a good, good basketball college, did that scholarship thing, went all out to be an NBA player, got got a couple of a couple of gigs there, and, and then it didn't really work out from the NBA. But he's been around Europe and been around the world playing basketball and earned a wee bit of money doing so. Yeah. He's a guy, and he's um, I'll be kind to him and say early thirties. <laughs> Um, I think the only way I'll get to know Kieran's actually just by cutting off his arm and cutting, counting the rings <laughs> that are on there. But he, he, um, he's come back because he wants to play in Scotland. His wife's Scottish, he's got a wee kid, and they want to bring up the family. So we've got guys, and Gareth Murray's the same. Gareth's played all over Europe. He's a GB international as well, and Gareth is with us. And Gareth's in his 30s as well, but they've come back, and they won't forgive me for saying this, maybe, but come back to the end of their careers mm-hmm. in Scotland. Yeah. Um, whereas we've got a couple of Scottish lads that are reaching us that are, that are on the... Their trajectory is very much on the way up in their career. Um, and I genuinely hope we can't keep them up. I want them to go on and do better yeah. things. But no, the, the Scotland team that went to the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, there was eight of our players went. Yeah. I mean, it, we were the... the Final Four, is that right? They did. I mean, it's actually the first time, I didn't know this, um, Cairns told me this, I think, maybe 11, 12 times, but the, the, it's the first Scottish team team ever in a team event to get to a, a medal playoff. And they went out there as a bottom-ranked team in the competition. They beat England, which was great. Yeah. And they went out as a unit because they were our players, and they'd been playing for us for pretty much the guts of two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they went out as a team, and they were playing against an English team that had players all over Europe and a few over England, and they weren't coming together as a unit, whereas our boys knew each mm-hmm. other, and mm-hmm. they, they, a lot of them known each other since they were kids. Sure. So they beat England, and they, they, they got through, and they got, they got a bit of a doing off uh, Australia, who are on a different level. Mm-hmm. But they played... Um, New Zealand, the Tall Blacks, that's what they call it, yeah, that, that's actually the thing, yeah, how cool is that, and they played the Tall Blacks for the, the bronze medal playoff, I mean, we just lost, we lost a wee bit at the end of the last quarter, it would have been amazing if the boys had come back with a medal, but they they, 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 they done ever so well, I'm very, very proud of them, um, I wouldn't say that at the time when I had like half a dozen guys that had to play three games while the rest of our team were in, um, in the Gold Coast, but 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 no, I'm sure it's a very long-winded answer. A straightforward <laughs> question. So it, it is now the it's the twentieth twentieth year of the yep. of the rocks of the upcoming season, but it wasn't always the Glasgow rocks, was it? it was no, and I, again, this anecdotal uh, for me because mm-hmm. I've only been around just over a year. But Ian Reid, uh, the gentleman who's um, whose shares I purchased in the rocks, Ian Ian formed the rocks twenty years ago now, and they were in Meadowbank, an old Meadowbank Arena. Um, they were Scottish rocks, and then and they played there. Uh, for a few seasons, and then and I f- forgive me, I don't actually know the year, but they moved, whenever Brayhead Shopping Centre opened mm. through in Glasgow, okay. they relocated from Meadowbank through to Brayhead, and Brayhead gave them a bit of a a sweetheart deal on the rent because Brayhead was new, and they played at the Brayhead Arena for a couple of years um, and rebranded. Uh, no, they didn't rebrand then; as a, it was still Scottish Rocks at Brayhead, and as Brayhead got more successful, the cost went through the roof, and, and the, the Rocks were looking for a new home. And went to the Kelvin Hall mm. in Glasgow, and that's when they rebranded as the the Glasgow Rocks. You got a wee bit of support financially from the council, and they played out at the Kelvin Hall for a few years. And then when the Emirates Arena was being built for the Commonwealth Games, um, they did a deal to move to the the Emirates Arena, which is an amazing arena. I think it's, I don't think it's arguable. I think it is the best arena in our league. Uh, the Emirates Arena. It's a world class venue. How many does it hold? We've got, got, got two arenas there. Um, our main arena that we play, a smaller arena, has a capacity just under two thousand, and that's that's pretty much close to sold out most games. Wow. And it's 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 banging in there because it's quite yeah. a close, intimate, yeah. noisy, rowdy Glasgow crowd. You can sport, you can put a beer in people's hands. It gets quite good fun. Um, and then we've got the bigger arena, 
which holds 6,500 people. So we played in there three times last year. And I think for our opening game, we had 5,500 at our opening game. And our Christmas game, we had about 5,000 as well, and then 4,000 later in the year. So, so not for, a, for a so-called minority sport. And yeah, there's a lot of football teams don't yeah, get that. In fact, most of them, almost, yeah. almost all the football yeah. teams in Scotland yeah. don't get that. Yeah, no, we, see, on a, on a, in a small arena, it's pretty close to sold out most games. Um, there may be tens of tickets left for the home games in in, in, in our arena, um, and in the bigger games we and in the bigger arenas we, we we do not for free, but we we do deals for for basketball clubs and schools and things because we've got a lot more seats to fill yeah, yeah. in the bigger game. But it's I think the thing that I've had a lot, a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family have come along, most of which are football fans or a, a few rugby boys. And I know they've come along almost through gritty teeth thinking, well, we better support him, whatever the hell this is doing. <laughs> and they've come, and everybody's thought, this is this is way better than we thought it was going to be, and it's cooler. And it just is such a um, such a cool experience to go to, and anybody that likes sport will enjoy it, because it, there's nothing not to like about it. And I say, from, from you sit down at the Emirates to when you, when you leave, it's about um, 20 minutes tops. I mean, you realize there's plenty of parking there at the Emirates. There's, there's, it's a really first-class arena, it's an indoor sport, which mm. is quite handy in Scotland. Not been handy for the past few months. It's subtropics here, but as a winter sport to be indoors and it to be over and done in sort of like I say an hour and twenty minutes, yeah. it's a good day out. And the timings of it are good. Most of our games are Sundays at five o'clock. Okay. Um, the other fixture that we get is a Friday night at half past seven. Uh, that what do, ten- what do you prefer? We prefer Sundays, and, and it's 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 quite interesting because a lot of the basketball teams in the in the league. I've been born out of universities, not not us, but and they prefer Friday nights because they've got a uni crowd mm-hmm. that are watching them, and, and it's people that it's students on a Friday that want to have a couple of beers, go to basketball, a few beers, then go out. So it's quite a, a different yeah. dynamic yeah. to ours. So we shift our tickets, but we we tend to only play on a Friday night in Glasgow because of TV. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's a game, there's a, there's a Friday night game every week on um, on the BBC on, the, on BBC Two on the red button and on the website and app, um, and I think the iPlayer. There's a game live on a Friday night, one game from the league a week, and so we tend to only be on that when um, we don't choose to play on a Friday night. But if we've got say 22, 23 games at the Emirates Arena, there'll be four or five of them on a Friday night. The rest will be Sunday at five o'clock mm-hmm. because it's a good time for a family. Um, and you're not competing with too many other events. No, the football tends to be done. Else, really. I, mean, I guess you get maybe get a good game at four o'clock on Sky, and people aren't going to come, but. It tends to be quite dead time for a family, and again on a Friday night, if you're bringing kids that are sort of seven and eight years old, if it's a half seven, say you're back in your car for nine o'clock, it'll be ten o'clock before it's quite a late night for kids, even on a Friday. So a Friday at five o'clock, you can be down at the game sort of quarter to five. You're back in your house for seven o'clock easily. Um, it, it, it's good times for 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 our games. Mm. So one of the things that sort of struck me about um, the Rocks was the kind of innovative stuff it's doing a around the academy that you've got and the partnership you've got. But also the community work you're doing. But I suppose if we start with the the academy, can you tell us a little bit about the partnerships you've got in terms of the, the opportunities students have got to come and play basketball. Yeah, it's something that that, that that we've been keen to do. I think my my attraction to the rocks was the the work in the community that it does. I see, I albeit a long way around, came in through some work I was doing a children's panel and ended up with David Lowe and David got involved in this not to make money David would make lots more money doing something else with his money rather than this it, it, it's, a, it's a real labour of love this is it? and it's for the community and both of us are um, very keen in, in doing a lot and putting a lot back in for not just Glasgow but we're, we're based in Glasgow and one of the things that we were keen to do was to create a basketball academy and 
So what's that? It's essentially kids that, um, as boys just now, um, we hope to do a girls uh, one, if not next season, the season after, but this season for boys. So kids that are at 16, just done their exams, and maybe don't want to stay at school to do their hires. And so we've created this basketball programme that says, right, you want to be a basketball player, a professional basketball player. Uh, we're going to create you a programme that's going to show you a pathway through two years of a, a programme at the Rocks delivered by our academy director, who's one of our players, Gareth, uh, who's a GB player, quite a big deal, um, and high profile will be delivering this programme to you with a coach. We'll enter them in a competitive league, in a national league of some sort. So they'll essentially be a development team and they'll have, in the morning, they'll have their strength and conditioning training. They'll then go and do their studies and they'll then come back and do the basketball in the afternoon. So the idea is we'll show you a pathway that can take you all the way through um, education or finish your education, pathway to scholarship potentially in the States if you're good enough and you're going to be an NBA player and you'll be a rock star. You know? mm. <laughs> However, if that doesn't work, you get an education. Mm. So we've gone to Kelvin College, who are um, who have always been very good to us. We've had a strong partnership with them for many years. We've gone to Kelvin College with this idea, and they've been super supportive. They're really, really good people um, up there. They're not far from us in East End of Glasgow, and we've identified this and we've got it off the ground. So we are now in the recruitment phase of finding. Um, we're looking to get twenty kids in this year, and then twenty next year, and then always have forty in the program. And these guys are going to be studying to be like a barber or a chef. They're not all, They're not doing sports stuff. They can be doing sports sure. stuff. We're not trying to get them all on the same course. They're all going to be doing different things and then coming together before it for fitness and after it for basketball. So we, we think it's a a really good initiative for kids. It's keeping kids interested in education mm. through basketball. Yet yeah, go and be an NBA player, but just in case, finish off your education. So we, we, we think it's a good thing um, for the kids and for the community. And it's, it, it's a good outlet. Yeah, very much so. And something when I saw that, I'm surprised more football clubs don't do things. Like, I know we'll, t- we'll talk about football later, mm-hmm. but the the amount of stories you read about players that haven't made it, haven't cut the grade in football, um, yeah. uh, and that yeah. haven't really got anything to fall back on, have just sort of been released by their respective academies, and they, they don't have any qualifications. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what, what clubs do around that for football. I think it tends to be that even at 16, if you're at 16, you, you're, I, I know I've got a nephew, who, who at 16 left school and he went to Livingston as a goalie. And so straight out of school into football, um, that's you're rolling the dice there that you're going to make as a footballer. And I think he will make it as a footballer as it goes. But, or not as a footballer, as a goalkeeper, he's not a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's high it's high odds. And I know that, like, like, like Celtic, I know what they do at St Ninians, but that's more through your school education when you're sort of 12, 13. It's not in further education. And I think they changed it in rugby as well, where rugby down south, you certainly, I, I know some some parents that had real dilemmas with their kids because it used to be that rugby clubs in, the, in, in England would let you go to uni and, and be part of their, yeah. their setup. Now it's not. You're, you're coming to us, you're a full-time rugby player. You can't go to uni and become mm. a football player. So... It's a difficult one, and we just think it's a it's a good thing to try and keep twenty kids in education. And if we can, my my, my dream for this is to fast forward six seven years and be able to appoint a kid and say, well, there's a kid that came to an academy, mm. and he's just got a scholarship in the states to play basketball, and he's hoping to get in the draft for the NBA. That that would be the mm. the, the, the absolute utopia for us. Mm. Mm. And so, what about the the community works? I, I notice you've got kind of three main three main programs that you run in partnership with the Scottish. 
Sports Future. Yeah, so SSF, Scottish Sports Future, is a fantastic organisation. Organization. They're, they're next door to us in Emirates and in, in the Legacy Hub, and we work real hand in glove with them. So when you're a, a Rocks player, within your contract, you are contractually committed to deliver a minimum of six hours per week community work. And there's no there's no way around that. It's, when we sign a contract, the players have got to know that when you come here, this is how much you're getting paid, this is where you're living, this is what car you're driving, this is what your schedule looks like, and it includes six, minimum six hours a week community work. If you can't sign up to it, don't come here. Yeah. Um, so what that means is we work with SSF, and last year... We were nearly in, our, our, our players and coaches were in front of almost nine thousand kids across primary schools um, and secondary schools as well. But mostly our jump to it program through um, through primary schools. So we go along with our players and we talk to them about we role models, uh, talk to them about health, sport, fitness, diet. Play a wee bit of basketball with them, and some of them we get along to play sometimes at half time. Uh, during one of our games but we're, we're just out in front of a lot of kids and, and we're focusing on schools and areas of deprivation and it basically calculated quite a crude metric but the schools that are applying for the most free dinners mm. school dinners we're going to those schools and trying to educate these kids a wee bit and, and give them a shine light so we send a few players out and We'll always send it because it's always good to send like a six foot ten black guy from Texas, but we'll also send Johnny Bunyan, who's five foot nine from Falkirk, because you, it's okay. You don't have to be six foot ten and black and from Texas, which is difficult if you're growing up in Glasgow. You can be five foot ten and be Johnny Bunyan and go and represent your country at the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So it, it, it's just, it just again, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. And going back to when when I when I bought the rocks from Ian, Ian pretty much interviewed me to see if he was going to allow me to buy the rocks, and and he was absolutely adamant that if I wasn't buying into the the community aspect of the rocks then he'd prefer that I didn't get involved but luck enough for me it, it, it's it's all about that so I'm not this is not if I make money out of this it's more by luck than judgment I, I'm not going to be making money at the rocks I'm involved in this because it's good fun and it, we're, we're doing some really really cool stuff in the community mm. and then we get to put on like 25 like really cool game days um, yeah. every season so yeah, the community is huge for mm. us. Is there, is there something about basketball? Because obviously you hear about a lot of clubs that do similar types of programs, you know, go into the community. Is there something about basketball that has a kind of unique appeal or attraction that football I, doesn't in some respects? I, I think I think it, I, I'm, I was actually quite surprised at how much basketball is played in Scotland and, and Britain, but specifically Scotland. And the, the, the measurement that they use for a sport in Scotland is how many people are paying to play a sport on a monthly basis. Okay, nice. So there are round about 7,000 people that are paying um, to play basketball on a monthly basis. And that might be kids or adults, but that's 7,000 people. And no point in comparing to football because football's off the charts. But that's more than, than are doing athletics or cycling okay. or rowing or something like that. So it's quite high participation numbers. Um but we don't get a single penny funding, which is another frustration. I've just got my soapbox with me if you want me to go on it. I'm, I'm ready to go any minute on that one. But I think it's it's seen as quite a cool sport. I think we, we in Britain are quite obsessed with American culture, I think, in, in many aspects, whether it be in, in, in fashion or in music or food or just technology. But we're, we're, we're quite, we buy into the whole American thing. In America... Basketball's huge. It's like the biggest participation sport by a mile. You add up all other sports mm-hmm. together, they don't add up to basketball. And basketball's quite an urban sport. It's played in streets, it's played in poor neighbourhoods and states. It's easy to play basketball. 
in, in the same way as it's easy to play football on the street. They, but, they share that aspect that they don't, you don't need a lot of facilities to do that. Aye, and it's not like your jumper for goalpost things. It, it, it's you get a basketball hoop or just make one. Mm. Oh, you, you don't need much, and then everybody can play basketball. And we're getting a lot of that now in, in, in Scotland. And so Scotland does proportionally on a pro rata basis. There's more people playing basketball in Scotland than there is in, in the UK. But it, it's very. Um, so it's an urban sport played by urban kids. And that, that's where it is frustrating because there's a lack of funding. Whereas if you're if you're competing, if you're in equestrian sports, or you're you're you're, you're yachts or boating, if you're buying ponies or yachts, it's fine. You'll get gazillions off all your pals in Westminster. You don't get a penny for kids that are playing basketball on the street, and it really pisses me off. Mm. That's the that's the way the funding's structured in terms of what they win at the Olympics. Yeah, and it's all about medals. And I like that. I'm all about winning, uh, but there has to be something in between that. And, yeah. and, and with all due respect, we're never going to compete for a gold medal. Um, or, or a bronze medal at, at the Olympics Games. It, it's just it's not something that, that's, that's going to happen in my lifetime. But there needs to be something in between that. Um, it, it, it doesn't feel right to me. And I know there's, there's a review coming around yeah, that. And yeah. I think we, all, we like watching Olympics. I remember watching Olympics in the States where we didn't win any gold medals or maybe one. It was rubbish. Whereas we now like watching Olympics. <laughs> and London was great. And I was at London Olympics and we all get wrapped up in this. Um, a bit. But when you actually... You see how it filters down, and even things like tennis. I mean, they're, they're throwing money at tennis, and they're going to build a tennis academy down in Stirling or Dunblane, whatever it is. And it's it's a middle class sport for middle class kids, and it's getting funded um, almost totally, yeah. but 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 yeah. by by government for for tennis. And where's where's the tennis stars? I mean, other than Andy Murray, there's nobody coming out of really Britain in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they'll throw money at these sports. There's a real bugbear in mind that it's it's. The people that are doing the funding are based in London, and they're doing it for that. So it's a it's, it's a class thing, and it really mm. it really yeah. rips my net. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know you said it was being reviewed, and I, I know it is, but I think it needs to be as well because that's always the one thing that's kind of irritated me as well is the fact that it's based on performance. So it's based on how well you do, which means the sports that aren't doing very well don't get the opportunities to develop and grow. And the other thing that I noticed... Switches to the rich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it creates this cycle where the, the other sports that perhaps don't have a history or tradition of, of um, delivering medals can't really get any better. And, and the other thing that kind of annoys me is that you end up funding sports, as you say, that perhaps traditionally got middle-class backgrounds. So you get like a question and stuff getting funded. And it's like, well, actually, is that having any impact in terms of health and I'm sure it is but not on the same level where you as you say you can get 20 guys playing no. basketball with two two balls you know it's if you if you look at if you look so at the different. sports we've been successful at at the Olympics it's sports where expensive equipment is required mm-hmm. and I say I, I don't if you want to fly down a mountain on a on a on a tea trolley and <laughs> uh, the funding that goes into that or a bobsleigh and stuff like that I mean who, who's I don't know. I've only been back in Scotland three years. I must. I'm not sure where the bobsleigh track is and the, and all of these things. But again, you've got expensive equipment, and boats and ponies and ski equipment and winter sports. Then you get funded and we'll win. We'll win medals. We're not winning many medals on the track. Yeah. That where for me they're the real medals. It is if you're if you're sprinting and you're doing the mile. I know we've got a couple of great athletes and we see her at the Laura Muir who who practices out of the. Um, she practices, trains. She trains out of the. It's practice. It's not training in basketball, but she trains out of the Emirates Arena, and hopefully Laura will go on and and get a medal at the next Olympics. Um, but yeah, it, it's it needs rubbed out and drawn back in. It, it really is mm-hmm. uh, messed up the funding. Mm. So I wanted to ask you about uh, your sort of self-proclaimed first love, football. Yeah. So 
Glasgow Rocks, the only professional basketball uh, team in Scotland. Yeah. What What does it take to build a fan base for a sport that hasn't traditionally got much of a, a following? And and what are the similarities, differences, or what are the kind of things that football could learn from from running a, a club like the Rocks? Yeah, I mean, it's it is difficult. I mean, our, our single biggest problem is awareness. There's still a lot of people don't know that Glasgow has a professional basketball team and they play out of the Emirates and they're in a British league. Um, and we were we got to the final four playoff in that league last year. Imagine that was football and a, and a Scottish team were getting to a final four of a British league. It'd be massive. Everybody would be aware of it. So we're not only we're the only team in a British league, we're actually pretty good at this. And we're third two seasons ago. We're final four playoff this year and we get high ambitions to, to, to go on and, um, and, win, and win it next year. And that's not me... Speaking from the from the heart, there's no reason why we shouldn't go on um, and win it next year. We're, we're as good as anybody else in that league, but there's still a lot of people who don't know about it. I mean, I, I live in Glasgow, and, and Glasgow is a Scotland as a as a as a country is obsessed with football, and I'm part of the problem as well as part of the solution, hopefully. But <laughs> um, but Glasgow in particular, it's a football city, right? And and, and I looked at what well, the first thing I did when I came in at the Rocks was. I was aware that the ice hockey team out at Brayhead, the Brayhead clan, or Glasgow clan actually, have rebranded in Renfrewshire. Um, they were regularly getting like three, three and a half thousand people packed out at the Brayhead. So I went along and thought, well, how are they doing it? They're a minority sport, and that's what we are at basketball. What is it they're doing that, that, that's making them successful? Yeah. They're doing something different. And I think it's genuinely, it's around entertainment. I just before I was here, I was down at Falkirk, the football team there, meeting their guys. And that that's the exact chat that we were having, is they want to be, they're a family club at Falkirk. And actually, most clubs are family clubs, actually. But, but especially away from Celtic and Rangers, deep down, they're hitting in their communities big. Um, I think the single biggest difference is football tends to be generational. I mean, my, my my grandfather was a Celtic fan, and his father was a was a Celtic fan, and it, it, it's a, it seems to be something that you you inherit. Everybody yeah. in my family is a Celtic fan nine months before they're born, and I think that it's different. Where we're going, it's back to that sport versus entertainment. We're not going after your traditional sports fans. A lot of the people that come to the Rocks come for the game day experience, and I don't know this, but my gut feel is that probably three quarters of the people that come to the Rocks have no interest in football. Um, that That's just my gut feel, is that they want to go to something different. And we, we've got about a thousand core fans a week that come to pretty much every game. And then there's a floating 10, 11,000 that'll come to one, two, three, four games a week. And say 67% of our tickets are bought by, bought by women. And it tends to be women buying for families. And they're making that decision, right, this week on a Sunday, right, are we going to go to the cinema? We've got to go to the bowling. No, let's go to the basketball. And I'm sure that they probably maybe go to the ice hockey as well, a lot of these families. And it depends what you want. I mean, I'm all about the sport and the competitive nature of it. But when you come to a Rocks game, I'm guessing that half the people that leave that arena don't actually care whether we've won or lost. I'm not one of those, by the way. But they're there because they've had a great time. It's been a good experience for them. They've got parked. There's, there's hundreds of car parking spaces at the Emirates. There's more than enough. And they walk into the arena, it's indoors, and get a hot dog and get a beer or a wine while they're watching the game. It is non-stop. I mean, it genuinely is. 
I can remember taking my kids to the football and 15 minutes in, I'm bored, I'm cold, can we go home, Dad? I'm not enjoying this. And you take the kids to the football because if they don't go, you don't go. That tends to be the deal in football when you've got young kids. It's different than the basketball and it's all geared around the, the, the game day experience. Now, it's hard to translate that to football and I make no apologies because I say I, I'm a massive football fan. I'm happy standing in the rain watching kids play football at the side of the, the, side of the park. I'd watch anything football-wise. The product of football that you've got, it's outdoors, it's winter, it's two hours, and on average there's two or three goals a game. Mm-hmm. It's quite hard to get kids to engage in that, because just because it is, just because the physical aspects of that. Whereas at the basketball, there's 20, 30 occasions in the game where you can get really excited and go on your feet. There's three breaks in between the quarters. It's relentless. There's never a second where there's nothing going on in the court. It's either kids having competitions, cheerleaders, um competitive games, competitions, loads of crazy stuff going on in and around the arena, whether it be during a timeout or during a break, it flies by. And I think it's, I'm not sure how much sport could learn from it unless they whack a roof over mm-hmm. football stadiums and come down to some sort of short format of football that's done and dusted. Ten and sixes. Aye, ten and six. And, and I tell you what, that's not as ridiculous as it sounds. Like, the, the, all of these Masters events and things that you see, mm-hmm. Other sports, I'm pretty sure there's somebody somewhere that, that at the time said 2020 cricket, that's laughable. That and you look, that's yeah, pretty much yeah. taken over the game now yeah. in cricket. And you look at what happened in rugby sevens, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And other sports, and even golf are looking to try and get a shorter format game into golf where they have like three or four hole uh, knockout competitions and they're starting to stick the clock on some snooker games. It's just as consumers, we want stuff to be instant, quicker, faster. And I think. It's not beyond the wit of man to think that there could be a different format of football, and there's still the elite level, which is eleven aside, ninety minute football. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's smarter people than me that have been scratching their heads on that for, for, um, for, for, for many years. But I, I think we target the families. Um, we, we overtly go out and target. Um, we, we, we profiled um, what a rocks fan looks like, and it maybe sounds terribly sexist, but it's true. But it, it, it's a mum in Glasgow that drives a Range Rover Evoque with two kids lives in Bears Den and she's maybe in her early 30s that is who buys her tickets yeah. that maybe sounds elitist or sexist or God knows what but it's reality that, that, that's factual so it sounds like you've done quite a bit of research around you know actually spending the time to find out what a fan or Rocks fan looks like and what that kind of demo, how that demographic is made up yeah I mean I, I think that one of the things that I've been clear on in, in, in any job that I've been in it doesn't matter whether it's basketball or whether it's in a um, a commercial environment, you've got to know what your customer looks like. I mean, it, it's and I know that a lot of people in football turn up their nose when they get referred to as customers, but that's yeah. what they are. They're spending yeah. money. Yeah. But if you don't know what your customer looks like and where they are and have access to them, you're going to struggle with any business. Yeah. So we, we have we, we've got quite good information on who buys our tickets, and it's becoming harder actually with the whole uh, GDPR thing in terms of what you can and can't do with your data. Um, but we we quite good at profiling where 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 people come from because like eighty odd percent of our tickets are bought online, yeah. and we make it easy for you to buy. But there's some basic information there, so we can we can sort of geo map it from, from quite a good perspective. And there's some basic questions, but we we know who we're targeting, um, and it's it's, it's the challenge is we get a lot of people that come once or twice a season. It's it's getting them to come four or five times a season, and then the next season actually investing in a season ticket, and and, and getting them to have that emotional investment in the team. And one of the things that is hard is where you're pretty much half your team every season changes. 
it can be difficult for the fra- the fans to have some emotional investment with it because I think God, that guy's good. He's not going to be here next year, so so we we we, we try and keep it core that, that, that there's a bunch of players there that are consistently there every year that that the fans will have an attachment to, and then try and bring in a couple of rock stars every year from the states. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, what's next then? What's next for the rocks? So in terms of short term, I mean we're, we're we're right now we're in the middle of our um, our mid season. Um, we let's see, we only contractually have three players signed right now. So the players are only signed for the um, for the season. Um, you're allowed three American players in your team and two non-British players. So we, we we tend to bring in three Americans, and those are guys that are in the states, gone through college in the states thinking they're going to be NBA stars, they're on scholarships, they're modicoddled at uni or college. Um, and then something doesn't quite go right for them at college, either they, they, they form dips, they just don't develop physically or mentally as much as they should, they might get an injury, they might have been a wee bit naughty and got thrown out of college or something like that. <laughs> and and they and they come out of college and they think, right, I either go and get a real job or I still want to give this basketball thing a go. And like I say, they'll try and find a, a gig somewhere else in the world. Um maybe in mainland Europe or Australia or in um, the Far East. And then if not, they'll come, come, to the, come to the UK and get a year there. So we're trying to identify. Right now it's all about recruitment. And um, we're looking to, to bring in a few new Americans. We've got a, a few players identified. Um, and in all honesty, there's way more players than there are positions. So, But it, that's that's actually the key to this. Is If you can get those Americans right to blend with your... Um, your homegrown players, um, and that's as much about a character thing because these guys are coming and they they're living together. We rent houses for them and what have you. So the chemistry is not right. So it's all about recruitment just now. And then our players will arrive um, end of August. Our players will arrive for pre-season, and then we get a pre-season, which again there is no money in the sport. It, it, everything's done on a shoestring. Um, we don't. We're not jetting off to warm climates or anything like that. No, we don't need to in this weather. But <laughs> hopefully, it'll last that long. Um, but no, we'll have a, uh, strength and conditioning, bring our team together. Uh, well, a few. There's always touring teams, American college select teams that that, that that travel. We'll play a couple of national league teams. We might have a friendly against one of the other teams in the league. Um, and then I think our season kicks off. I think it's the twenty fourth of September. Our season starts, so it's all about recruitment, and I'm out there, and our general managers out there, and we're we're looking for new commercial partners. I mean, everything we're a small business, and and a hundred percent of what we generate, we generate ourselves. So we don't get any funding. So our, our income streams are our ticket sales, our merchandise sales, and then the money we get from corporate partnerships and sponsorships. So we're out there trying to sell uh, logos on the jersey, logos on the floor, hospitality courtside boxes uh, within reason anything um, that, that, that will sell so that, that's what's occupying us now and then it's in the season and it, it, it comes really fast and quick I mean maybe a lot of pretty much at least a game a week often two games a week uh, and it's relentless uh, through the season um, but that, that's sort of short term where we're going and I think longer term our single biggest um, issue or our single biggest thing on our to-do list is our own arena uh, there's a movement in our league, in the British Basketball League, to clubs moving to their own arenas. So there's a dominant team in our league just now, Leicester Riders. So Leicester have their own arena. They built their own arena and it's got 3,000 seats in it. 
John Bishop in there that sold 3,000 seats and took 15 grand on the bar. I've got a Barry Hearn darts event there and a boxing event, African musical festival. They're making a fortune off of their arena. And they're selling, as we are, three, four hundred thousand pounds a year a hot dogs and juice and beer and nachos and what have you. They get all of that. I don't get any of it. That's that's yeah. all wrong. I'm in yeah. a council arena, albeit it's a beautiful arena, and the council are very, very supportive of us. If the Rocks aren't in their own arena within five years, they're not going to be finishing top four in the league. They're going to be finishing mid-table mm-hmm. and then dropping down to a team that uh, don't make the playoffs. And say Leicester's in their own arena. Newcastle will start the season in their own arena. Sheffield will start building, and there's two other teams that have got funding in place to build their own arena. So we, we, we need to get our skates on and, and start thinking about um, how we get to that point because that, that's a big, that's a massive project. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's, a, that's a thing long term. And medium term, it's about getting ourselves, it's, it's awareness. I mean, it's about getting people um, aware that we play, that we play out the Emirates, of when our games are. Um, real game changer for us last year. A partnership with the Forest Group and Forest Group own uh, 14 big digital screens mm. in the city. So they're, they're all over the city. There's some in Edinburgh as well and some in Newcastle. A big, so a huge, big like side of lorries, advertising boards, video and, and, and image screens. We're on all those screens. That had a real effect on us last year uh, for awareness. And it, was, it was cool as well because the American boys were living and they were seeing like 15 <laughs> foot high images of themselves in the city centre and, and what have you. So so only that, only that, just a little bit taller than they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life wasn't to scale, but almost. But that, that's been a game changer for us. But it's just it's about raising awareness. And I say before I was here, but I was up at Falkirk. We, we do a lot of things. Um, good partnership with Patrick Thistle last year. Where there was no money exchanged hands, but. Um, doing things on a, on a contra basis and we were supporting them and we were swapping tickets and swapping um, hospitality and they've got a board at us, we've got a board at them, we do our players down there at half time trying to do the crossbar challenge and they would their players up um, competing against our cheerleaders for a free throw competition and discounts for Patrick Thistle season ticket holders and we're, saying, we're hoping to do something similar with, with, with Falkirk so it, it, it's a competitive market space and we're all competing against football but in particular we're competing in Glasgow against Celtic and against Rangers so um, it's about raising awareness and getting more people through the door but then it's about winning stuff this team hasn't won enough um, I think we've been one of the <laughs> when I look back with hindsight it was, a, it was probably a ballsier decision than I thought it was at the time but I came in knowing nothing about basketball and uh, we had to let our coach go or I had to let him go because he'd been there a lot of years um, great guy, smashing guy, like one of the nicest guys that you could ever meet. But the Rocks have got a reputation for being the nearly. I mean, I'm the hips of of, of, of basketball. <laughs> we, I think we've been in eleven finals and eleven losses. Wow. Yeah. So that's not cool. So we we need to change that. That's the one thing that, that the single thing is that sounds ridiculous. We're talking about sports, like duh. But we need to win stuff. I mean, we 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 should be competitive. Um, we're in the top three or four teams in that league, so we should be winning. There's two trophies, uh, two cups a year you can win, and then you can win the championship, and then the thing you want to win is the playoffs. That's where the glory is. Um, it's, it goes to a playoff final, uh, which is the O2 in London, 15,000 people there. It's proper. That does look like NBA basketball. Mm. And um, we got to the semi-final, the final four of that last year. We want to be in that final next year. More to the point, we want to be winning that final. Mm. One one last question before we always we always end on the same question, but one last question for you before that is: American sports are kind of notorious for actually, in many respects, the way that their leagues are governed and administrated. They're quite um, 
So you've got salary caps. Mm. You've got um, the draft. Although you don't system. in basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wondered what the whether any of that applied to to, to basketball in the UK or any of the American sports. So you're aware of those kind of restrictions. Yeah, I mean we have there's a salary cap in our league. Okay. So you have a team salary cap. Now, in all honesty, nobody reaches it. Okay. Um, but I can see it happening soon where, where uh, one team in particular um, are flirting with it. Uh, they're, they're getting close to it. So there is a salary cap um, that's in the league. One of the things I like about um, American sport is how competitive it is and the way they do their draft. Yeah. Now, we, we don't have this. There's not a transfer market for players in, in, in the British league. It doesn't work like that. But... I like the way the draft works in the States and it, uh, I say this as a Celtic fan, I'm not sure how much I would like it, um, <laughs> but it doesn't allow for one team to be dominant. Yeah. Maybe arguably with the, with the, with the Patriots in, in, in American football, no team tends to dominate a sport because the way that the, the, the draft system works. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really do uh, I really do like that. It gives everyone a chance. I think. Yeah, it does. Yeah, It, it, it does. And, and, and the, the, the weakest team mm. getting the best player. Or trading that off for something that really cool. Um, I like that idea, but no, we don't have that. I think the, the thing I'd like to see come in um, in our sport in, in, in Britain is that we have playoffs, and it's a very football way of doing it. So there's 12 teams in our league, and the top eight go into playoffs, and first play eighth, second play seventh. Uh, but they play at home and away over an aggregate score. And nobody else in world basketball does that. That's a football thing, an aggregate score. Um, everywhere in basketball tends to do or an NBA it's best of seven so I'd like to see at least best of three in the playoffs with the highest placed team getting two home games Um, I'd like to see that come in Um, I see we're not it's not relevant for us to have a draft or anything like that but see the salary cap will be interesting because there is more traction in the sport and there's more interest in it media wise we've had more I mean last year the BBL games were on. See, they were on BBC Two on a Friday night. There was a game, and then there was always a game on Free Sport um, on a on a Sunday. Pretty much every week there was a game streamed live on Unilad, right. and then there's a thing called Live Basketball TV, which I think is about eight pounds a month. Every single game from the league is streamed live, so it's getting a lot of uh, attention, um, and. We've got a pre-season tournament this year that Barry Hearn is putting on in London. It's a bit of a, a hybrid game. There's a five-point shooting zone and like a power play where you get double points. The purists will hate it. <laughs> ah, it'll be hilarious. Um, but he's he's put a hundred grand up prize money um, oh. for that in, in September. So I think as more interest comes into sport, and it does feel that there's an upswing um, and it's getting a bit of traction in terms of participation numbers. It's starting to get a wee bit more attention in the media. Um, so hopefully if more money does come into the sport um, I'll be interested to see how we deal with the salary cap there then but we're quite fortunate because we're one of the founding members of the BBL, the British Basketball League and we're actually shareholders of the league as well okay. so the teams that are in the league own the league mm. uh, Is it a relatively level playing field as a result? Or is there a big disparity between the, you know, the, the most successful and the least successful teams? There, there, there tends to be, there, there's, there's been two teams in the league that have, be, that have really struggled in Leeds and Manchester, Leeds have actually uh, no longer with us. They actually have disappeared. There's a new team coming in to replace them this year. Leeds and Manchester have struggled performance-wise, um, and then there's six or seven, well, eight or nine teams actually. Then everybody except Leicester. There's then a very competitive bunch. Right. I say Leicester have their own arena. Yeah. Um, 
they're stretching away because their income is probably three, maybe even four times what so mine they is. they their own arena? Were they, were they no, the Newcastle were the dominant okay. team. And it, it, so that's, Leicester have become the, what Celtic are in a, in, in a football league just now, they're, they've had back-to-back trebles um, in, in, in basketball and actually they're going to compete in the Champions League in Europe this year um, which I'm hoping exhausts them within an inch of their, within an inch of their life um, I'm a wee bit jealous but it's good for the sport and we're, we're, we're getting um, getting a better profile um, but it's a very competitive league If you, it was actually with, four, with three games to go in the league we could have finished second or ninth right. so okay. it was that time um, it is a very super competitive right league. Right, right to the wire. Yeah, and it was literally right to the wire. And I like it. it's exciting. It's a playoffs. I think I was really um, against the the idea of splitting football, the top six, the bottom six. I think it's created some great games now. Uh-huh. When it comes to the end of the season and, and, and playoffs and things, and I think football's going more more that route. You see it in rugby as well now. It doesn't it's not about who wins a championship in rugby down south. Mm-hmm. It's who wins a playoff. Who gets the final? Um, it creates more excitement, and, and as everything, especially in football, money drives the agenda. And you imagine Sky putting on a game that's a, a playoff between third bottom of the Premiership and, and third top of the Championship. It's like a three hundred million pound game live on Sky for a playoff or, or for the champion for a Champions League spot. It, it is whether we like it or not, it'll go the way of playoffs. I, I would I bet a lot of money on that. Yeah. Great. Uh, like final question, looking at football, mm-hmm. uh, what's the one thing that football could learn from basketball? Wow, <laughs> uh, that is a that is a great question, and been great if you even told me you were going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we should have mentioned that at the start. <laughs> it's, it's better this way. It's better this way. Um, I, I feel guilty. I almost feel like I'm cheating on football when I criticise it. I, I I do I, I I feel that I'm putting a boot into an ex that I used to like or something. <laughs> yeah. or, although I, don't, I can't actually think anybody fits that bill. But <laughs> I, I think football still football need to get away from being about old men running football clubs like they used to be run. I was refused entry to a football boardroom this season because I had a pair of black jeans on. And I thought, and that's exactly what I thought. Well, actually, wow was the second word that I said. (laughs) And I wasn't allowed into a boardroom um, of a premiership team this year because I had black jeans on. And that's just an example of the stuffiness that's in football. It's a very long-winded answer to a straightforward question. It's like, get out of the dark ages. You you need to innovate. You're dinosaurs. You know what happened to them. And I just think they really need to embrace a new generation. I, mean, I, I don't know where the next generation of Falkirk fans, and only say Falkirk because Falkirk have been up there. Um, kids are more independent now. They've got more things to do. I went to see Celtic because that's where my um, that's where all my family went. It was just a thing to do. And I've done the same with my kids. My kids are born down south and they're Celtic fans. But they need to, they need to really move with the times and embrace change and challenge themselves and do different things just do things differently and don't be as blazery and as stuffy and as set back in the times and, and just like move it forward just really really move it forward and I think that outside of the, the, the big big clubs I think fan ownership um, is the way to go um, in sport 
but in particular in football, I see they're doing it at clubs like Falkirk and what they've done down at St Mirren. I, I think that's the way to go. Let the fans run the club, not you because you played here 40 years ago or because your dad was chairman and you're now chairman. Let's step aside and let somebody else take the game forward. Perfect. Thank you very answer. much, Duncan. Yeah, Thank could, you. Couldn't have done that better if you'd practised it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Blazery is my new favourite word. Blazery. <laughs> if it's not a word, it should be. <laughs> Thank Excellent. Thank you very much. So thanks again to Duncan for coming in and joining us for, for this week's podcast. Um, fascinating chat, really, really good. Um, clearly a very passionate football fan as well as uh, having a lot to say about, about his own his, his full-time sport, uh, his day job sport uh, of basketball. Um, and, and didn't hold back in some of his opinions there about what he thought uh, football could do to, to, to change and to improve and to get itself fit for uh, the future rather than being stuck in the past, mm. to use the, the, the kind of sort of phrases that... Uh, that Duncan was was talking about there, mm, blazery. Yeah, blazery. Yeah, new uh, a new favorite adjective there. <laughs> <laughs> I think football could do a lot worse than getting somebody like Duncan involved in uh, in running the sport. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a great asset to Scottish football. Um, yeah, certainly help shake it up and give it a fresh perspective and yeah. uh, learn a lot from how to build a how to build a fan base from a sport which hasn't you know perhaps got um, a particularly strong tradition of, of following in Scotland yeah not I mean, certainly not a mainstream sport yeah. but um, the numbers he was talking about there in terms of the number of people that are attending uh, were impressive and he, he mentioned um, the, 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 the numbers of supporters that um, Brayhead clan uh, mm. get in the ice hockey mm. uh, having having been to um, games both at Fife Flyers and at Edinburgh Capitals there's similar sort of numbers there mm. And they're not they're not new sports to Scotland. They they've been around for quite a long time. Um, all of my days, I can remember there being ice hockey played in Kirkcaldy, and they've got good crowds all the way through that. So that's it's almost a, a traditional Scottish sport in terms of it's got a long history of uh, of, of presence in this country. Um, but also, sorry, I was going to say the other interesting thing was what he was talking about was the kind of uh, profiling of the fans. Yeah, I think and, there's uh, a lot more intelligence in there mm. than goes into most football clubs and mm. uh, knowledge knowledge of their fan base. Uh, I even I went in that conversation. Just the thing he was saying that, that most of their tickets are sold online. Yeah, um, that's very much not the case for for yeah. football. Yeah, uh, I, I think I can. Remember, I think it was maybe Duncan, Duncan Mackay. It was uh, when we when we spoke to him way back in the early days of the podcast. He talked about uh, you know a centralised ticketing system would do so much for the sport uh, in Scotland, and and that's really kind of shining through. Yeah. Just the intelligence that Duncan Smiley there today uh, has about their support just by selling tickets online yeah. finding out a little bit about their supporters being able to contact them and being able to, to profile them uh, is is light years ahead of what most football mm. clubs can do in Scotland mm, mm, absolutely yeah um, well thank you very much for listening to this week's episode uh, don't forget we are looking for more members you can now become a member of Supporters Direct Scotland which is the first time we've ever opened it up to to individuals, right. so individual membership, and we would love you to get involved. It works on a pay what you want basis. So if you head to our Patreon page, wherever we promote the podcast, basically, if you like what we do and support what we're about, then please do pledge because it, it does cost money for us to produce uh, podcasts and resources and, and guidance and everything else we do. So yep. if you are supportive of what we're trying to do, then please do help us uh, grow it and develop it. And if you're supportive of what you what what we do, get in touch. Yes, uh, the email address or Twitter address is in the in the outro. Uh, so get us in touch and tell us that you like it yeah. or if you don't like it tell us that you don't like it um, yeah. and uh, and we can help improve things the podcast and every other aspect of our work yeah so thanks again for listening and speak to you next week bye
Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott. 